Uh, some faces we haven't seen in a while, even my kids. I think it's been over three months since they've gotten to come to church, so this is uh, exciting to be here, exciting to be able to sing next to them, lots of fun. Uh, so we, uh, we're in a unique time, as we all know, and uh, right now we're in a really unique time as a family because Lydia, our 15-year-old, she's the, the bandit up here, um, she just got her permit. And, and I don't know if you've ever driven with somebody who just got their permit, it's scary. Now, she's doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. But uh, the first time we went on a long trip, we went from our house in Johnson Lane to Minden Meat in Delhi. Maybe the scariest 40 minutes of the last few years for me. Because we, uh, here's the worst part. Coming out of Minden Meat in Delhi, if you know that place, she had her blinker on, but it kept going off. And so she was focused on the blinker until I yelled, break, because she was drifting out. Anyway, scary. But the worst part was kind of the consistent tendency to drift. You know, a, a song was on or whatever, and slowly it'd be coming off the road, and then until I'd yell, or she'd feel that, you know, and it just kept, and I'd let it happen just to, how long is she going to go? And, and that was kind of the, the biggest uh, risk, and I think she's getting better at that, right? We decided no distractions as much as possible. The other girls rode with her yesterday, and the big thing before they got in the car was, do not distract her. No talking to her, nothing. Let her just drive. Now, Am I the only one that has maybe a spiritual tendency to do the same thing? Cruising down the road, and you just kind of tend to drift away from Jesus? You know, and maybe in this time right now, where we haven't been able to gather, you know, for a lot of us, and I think rightly so, Sunday is a great time for us to get together. It's a great time for us to worship. We're called to worship. We're told to not forsake the gathering. And so when we've missed it, are we starting to drift a little bit? Our habits, maybe they're a little bit different. Have we found ourselves drifting away uh, you know, from between the lines with Jesus Christ? Whether it's morally uh, or, or mentally, maybe it's stress and anxiety. And just so you know, just to give you a heads up, we have a series starting next week. We're going to be talking about current issues. We're going to talk about government, stress and anxiety and some things like that. So look forward to that. But today we are finishing up the book of Nehemiah. So grab your Bible and turn to Nehemiah. We're going to be in Nehemiah 13, and we're going to finish up this whole book after the, the nation, you know, they had come back, a lot of them had come back, a lot of them had not. They rebuilt this wall, a miracle. They built a two and a half mile long wall, probably about 40 feet tall in 52 days. Really, it was a miracle. And at the end of it, I love this verse, at the end when it was completed, the nations around fell in their own esteem because they saw that this had been completed with the help of the one true God. Really cool. So God worked, but it wasn't just that. Then it sparked a spiritual revival. And we talked about this some last week. This revival where they saw God work, they participated in God's work, and God did some things. And revival always begins among God's people. Always. And that's what we saw. And we saw this revival come through in a few different ways. Uh, they renewed their focus on marriage. They renewed their focus on worship you know, including the Sabbath, and they renewed their, their focus on giving and stewardship. And here's my question. As we look at some of this, do we have a faith that will endure for the long haul? So they had this revival, which is great, but then time went on. And sometimes we can have a, a spiritual high, whether it's at camp or a conference or, or maybe a, a great new worship song on Sunday like the one we just sang, and even this experience. And then how long does it take for us to drift? You know, sometimes it depends on how far away you park, doesn't it? 
but we can drift away from what God would have. Are we in it for the long haul? Do we have a faith that will endure? And if we want a faith that's going to endure, I think one of the big things is how do we handle hard times? Like this one, how do we handle these struggles? James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think for us right now, this is huge. Because as a church, I mean, the building and where we are as a church, we are on the cusp, I think, of something really great. This whole coronavirus junk going on, all this racism junk going on, the riot, all this, I think is really setting things up for God to do great things. And are we going to just get derailed during this time and be sidelined and not useful to what God wants to do? Or are we going to be those, you know, ready, put me in coach, I'm ready for the game. Things are happening, opportunities are here, it gives me a little bit of chills. If we're ready, God's going to do great things through us. But to be ready, we can't be uh, on the bumps on the side of the road. We need to stay between the lines. So let's look and see Nehemiah real quick. Again, they had finished the wall. Uh, we're actually going to kind of skip over a couple chapters. There's a lot of just details in those chapters. You can read them. But in chapter 12, we see the dedication of the wall. Uh, they have a couple choirs. One goes one way, one goes the other way, and they meet in the middle, and they dedicate this wall. Uh, then they, they rededicate the people. Uh, and then we move to chapter 13, and that's where we're going to pick it up, is in chapter 13, after this revival had happened, after this, this spiritual high, Nehemiah, the leader here, he then leaves. Remember, he was cupbearer to the king of Persia, and he had asked the king, hey, I want to go build this wall, and the king had said, how long are you going to be gone? And he said, I'm going to be gone. They don't tell us. He's going to be gone about so long. Well, it looks like he was gone for about 12 years. And then he goes back to the king of Persia for anywhere between 3 and 12 years. Different people will disagree how long he was gone. But he goes back uh, to, to Babylon. He goes back to the king of Persia. And what happens while he's gone is the people start to drift. Let's look at uh, Nehemiah 13, starting in verse 1. On that day, they read from the book of Moses... In the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now again, this is obedience to the law. This is something God had given them uh, through the Mosaic law laid out. I want you to obey these things. And again, God loves all the nations. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. So it isn't that. Is it? You're better than everybody else. It was don't be defiled by the nations. And these couple ones here kind of had a curse on them because of what they had done before. But this is a big deal. Look at verse 4. Now before this... Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, remember Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandments to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and, while the, contr and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, this is Nehemiah writing, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king. So here's this situation. Nehemiah goes, and it, it looks like it doesn't take very long 
for some wandering. And who is this that, that drifts at first? I think this is helpful. It's one of the spiritual leaders. It's a priest, a priest who has a certain responsibility within the temple, and he starts to drift. It was very clear in the law, uh, the, these Ammonites and Moabites, they need to be separated from you, and only so many people could come into the temple, and surely not these foreign non-believers, they, they weren't allowed in the temple, but here, Tobiah, because he's related to this priest, he already broke that law of inter his son or, or his daughter intermarrying, uh, with this, this guy. Now he clears out a room in the temple that had a purpose and lets Tobiah move in there and live there. That's a big deal. He drifted. He wandered away. But Nehemiah shows up. We're going to see a couple themes kind of as we go through this. One is the drifting and, and our tendency to drift, but we're also going to see the priority of leadership and the importance of quality leaders. Uh, and being a leader is hard. Look at what Nehemiah does. Verse 7, I came to Jerusalem and I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chamber, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So here's the first thing. Remember, they had this reform, and one of the things they were going to refocus on was worship. Well, here the temple was a big part of their worship, and the leadership had drifted away from the priority of worship. The spiritual leaders drifted away from this priority of leadership. But Nehemiah corrects it. Now, Nehemiah is anything but passive. Anything but passive. Again, being a leader is hard. And we, when we lead, and this is any, all of us have some level of leadership. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, whatever work you have. Leadership is important. But there's a time to get a little bit firm, and that's what he does here. He goes in and he, he cleans it out. He corrects the issue, and then he puts systems in place to keep it. Now, we're going to look at the next bit of wandering, and we saw this before. Uh, worship was one. Stewardship was the other. They had renewed their, their commitment to give their tithes of their first fruits uh, to take care of the ministry. But here, look at verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work each had fled to his field. So here's verse 10. The people drifted away from, from giving faithfully. So these Levites, who were supposed to be full-time in the temple, they weren't receiving, nobody was given to them, or they weren't given as much, and so they went out, and they had to start working in the fields. That's not what they were supposed to do. Again, there's something about money. I think our heart and our wallet are kind of connected with a string, and as these people drift away in their worship and in their faithfulness, they drift away from their giving as well. And so here we see him correct this, verse 11. So I confronted the officials, and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together, and I set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah. For they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Here, we see some good leadership, and we see a guard against wandering. 
He puts some systems in place to guard. He says, I need some reliable leaders. You guys have proven to be reliable. I'm going to put you in charge of this. Make sure it runs good. Make sure this continues and goes. He puts people in place. He puts systems in place to help. Look at verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. We're going to see Nehemiah say something like this three times during this portion. He does some really hard things as a leader, and then he goes to God and says, God, remember me, because the people, it, it appears they're not. He's struggling with this leadership, and he continually turns to God and says, you remember me. I might not get the rewards for it here in this life, but you remember I'm doing this for you. So he appeals to God to remember him. Now, again, as worship suffered in the leadership, it moves to others. Look at verse 15. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wines, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods to be sold on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and I said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. The issue with the Sabbath here is an issue, again, of, of worship. You know, the Sabbath was, was given in the law. This is one of the Ten Commandments. You know, honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. For them, this was Saturday. This was the day that they were not supposed to work. They were supposed to focus on worship. They were supposed to eat, be with family. It was to focus on God. And the concept of Sabbath, uh, they were supposed to Sabbath one day a week, one year out of seven. The whole point of this is to God say, you relax and worship and I'll provide. It was a faith issue. Because instead, if they felt like, no, we need to work on the Sabbath, it was saying, God, we don't trust what you'll provide for us. We have to work this day. Do you remember when the Israelites left Egypt, hundreds of years before this, and they're wandering in the desert, and God gives them food. He gives them manna, the bread that fell from heaven. And it fell every day. And their command was, do not collect enough for two days, only collect one day, because I want you to trust me every day. Some of those were like, I'm not sure we can trust God to drop this miracle from heaven tomorrow. They gathered too much. The next day, it, it was moldy and gross, and it had worms in it. But, miraculously, for two days, they can collect two on Friday, collect for two days, because tomorrow's the Sabbath, and I want you to learn to trust me, relax, and worship on that day. They would collect, and it, no worms. That's kind of the point of this Sabbath. Take it and worship me. Trust me. This relationship we have is central. And this is where we're going to land the plane today. It's all about this relationship with God. God says, you can do all this religious stuff, great, whatever. But what I really want is this. What I really want is you. And here they had drifted from that relationship. They had drifted from that priority of worship, of worshiping him, the Sabbath. And you see here that the non-believers around were moving in to do business. There were non-believers living there. No big deal. They were around there, but now they're bringing their word. They're kind of pulling Israel away, pulling God's people away. The world is constantly going to tempt us away from our commitment to God. Plain and simple. The world, for us, is going to give us a lot of other things to do on Sundays rather than worship. You know, and right now it's difficult, and some of us are going to be watching online, but still worship is, should be priority in our lives. 
But here, uh, Nehemiah deals with the issue again. He helps them. Uh, Verse uh, 19. As soon as it began to grow dark, at the gates of Jerusalem, before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my stewards at the gates, and no load that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of the kinds were lodging outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Okay, so he, again, he put some systems in place. I'm going to help you as a good leader. You guys are struggling. We're going to shut the gates. We're going to lock them. We're going to put a guard there. No business is going to take place on the Sabbath. We need to focus on worship. And he, uh, he, he sets this in place, but then some of these other foreigners are coming and camping outside the gate. Like, hey, you're doing this. We disagree with and we're going to just stay here. We're going to convince you to let us in. And they camp outside. But what does he do? Uh, we are in verse 21. But I warned them, and I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Do you get what he just said? If you do this again, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to deal with you physically. That's, that's kind of bold leadership. Now, there's, and we're going to see some stuff in a little bit. Sometimes narratives in, in Scripture are descriptive rather than prescriptive, meaning it's telling what happened. Maybe not this is what you should do. Uh, but here, I like his, his boldness of this is a big deal, nation. It is, this is why we went into exile to begin with. We need to guard this. God's glory is involved, and, and you, his people, this matters to us. And so he says, we're going to get physical if you do this. Uh, maybe some of you fathers can relate. You know, what if you have a daughter that's maybe starting to wander a little bit, maybe sneaking out at night? What are you going to do? Probably going to lock her in a room and set up a security system or whatever. I see some, some parents looking at their kids. Uh, you're going to lock them up, right? I, I mean, you're going to try and protect them as much as you can as they get through this. And I think that's somewhat what, what Nehemiah is doing. Uh, but, you know, like there, maybe there's these guys, they find out she's locked and they start, you know, drifting around your house. What are you going to do as a dad? You know, you're going to go out and cock whatever gun you have. And, you know, I, I'm going to get physical. You need to get out of here. I mean, that's what Nehemiah does. He's bold. Again, leadership is hard, and he is guarding worship. He is guarding what should be central to all of them. And he says again uh, in verse 22, Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. So again, he appeals to God. Listen, if you're going to be a bold leader, and this is what we need. We want to see revival. It's going to, come, it's going to start with leadership. Uh, fathers, mother, it's going to start with us owning the responsibilities we have in this life, wherever it is. And to do that, you can't be a people pleaser. You know, plain and simple, you cannot be a people pleaser. So many churches have drifted because of this idea of, of people pleasing. You know, some of the, these big examples is you see here that this sin started in leadership. This happens in churches all the time. The sin starts in leadership, but for whatever reason, they band together and they guard each other rather than actually dealing with it. And of course, that leaks down and that stems. You know, here at Common Ground, we're just one church among many. You know, one, we're one little castle in a great kingdom, but we need to guard that here. You know, leadership is, is central and being bold and willing to follow God is what we need. Now look on. We, we see uh, 
stewardship became an issue. Uh, we see worship became an issue. And then the third part of their revival was with marriage. And now this is also an issue. 23, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. Again, here, this is a big deal. This is one direct disobedience to God's commands. But here, these are God followers marrying non-believers. It's not just that they were, you know, another nationality. It was they were non-believers. They worshipped idols. And you see uh, the life of Solomon. Wisest man to ever live other than Jesus, arguably. But what brought him down? was intermarrying uh, with, with foreign women who had other gods, and they pulled him into idolatry. And here, these, these men are disobeying, they're, they're intermarrying, and their kids don't even speak Hebrew or, or Aramaic, whatever the language would have been right here. They don't speak that language, meaning they can't go to the temple and understand what's being said. They can't worship. So these are ki- uh, believers marrying non-believers, raising up unbelievers. This is a big deal. Uh, and this is a big deal for us, too. You know, marriage, we need to guard marriage. And, and some of us, many of us here, may have the experience of, of we're a believer and our spouse is not. And the New Testament makes very clear, then, then we fulfill our role to the best of our ability. But those of us not married yet, we, we still can guard marriage, uh, look forward to marriage, and marry a believer. And parents, this is also for us, to raise up our children in godliness. We have the responsibility to point them to Christ. And so Nehemiah here kind of has that idea. We need to obey the law, and we need to raise up godly children. And, And here, he really gets physical. Verse 25. And I confronted them, and cursed them, and beat some of them, and pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath of my... In the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. And he goes on to describe this is what brought Solomon down. You see what he did? He, he, he pulls their hair, he beats on them. Again, I'm not sure this is what God wanted him to do exactly, but he's bold. He goes out and he deals with this. This is a big deal. I'll be honest, as, as a pastor, there have been times where I've sat in meetings with people and they've spoken and I've gone, you know, we need to just go deal with this. <laughs> let, let me give you a little bit of a whooping maybe and, and, and make you submit to, but we, I mean, we can't do it that way. But where people are saying, you know, I'm just going to go this way. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you love the Lord? Yeah. But you're going to do this. Yeah, I'm going to go that way anyway. And you just want to grab them and just shake them. We can't do that. <laughs> And, you know, I can't grab him and shake him and force him. But it's it, following God, following Jesus is central to us. And, and we as a group, you know, this is part of being part of a body. We come together and we do grab each other lovingly. We see that in the New Testament. To set each other on the right path when we start to wander. Because, again, drifting. This idea of drifting, prone to wander. Remember the old uh, hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to keep wandering in the same directions away from God. But here, Nehemiah, good leadership, corrects it, and he sets up systems in place. And I think that's helpful for us. Do we tend to drift? What systems maybe can we put in place? You know, stewardship is one of those. Uh, we have a great thing nowadays with online giving and setting it up. And so, you know, we've done, we did that years ago, just set it up. It's all just automatic. So when we start talking about finances and money, the idea to not give God first doesn't even come up because it's so automatic, we don't even think about it. You know, school is all goofy. We want our kids to do maybe private school this year because things are so goofy. Well, guess what? That costs money. And we're never going to discuss, do we stop giving to do this? 
I mean, that's just not even an issue because you set up systems and you go, this is the way we're going to go. What systems do we need to put in place so that we don't drift or wander? You know, Nehemiah here has them guarding obedience. You know, he, he continues to set up these systems to walk straight. And he ends this book uh, somewhat abruptly, verse 30. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offerings at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. It just kind of ends there. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. You know, there's a, a handful of topics that we see as we move through this, but for us, how are we doing? You know, in this difficult time, have you found yourself drifting? You know, do you have relationships? If, if you're married, your marriage relationship, is that centered on God? Is that a priority? Do we need to work on that? Has stewardship struggled? I, I have to tell you, I, I wrote the giving letter this last week and talked to Paul. We are so excited for what God has done in this church through, through you. People that normally would write a check to give or whatever, like, oh, we can't meet, change the way they give. We are at a good spot financially. You know, so don't hear this going, oh, the church needs money. No, we're doing very well because of all of you, because our people love God, and there's something about stewardship that is tied to our heart, tied to our faithfulness. But is there something else we need to do? Now, here's something that's helpful. We are different than the Jews of this time. Do you, what do we have that they didn't have? We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that is different. They had the law, something external. We have the law written on our hearts. We actually have the power inside us in the form of God himself, the Holy Spirit, to help us walk rightly. And so as we wrap up, and we're going to get to do communion for the first time in a long time, for us, the focus, we do need to do our best to obey and work in these areas, but our focus really is on abiding. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. For us, the way we keep from drifting is we put our best effort into our loving relationship with Jesus. That's, that's really it. That's where it starts. Our loving relationship with him, coming close to him. And with that in mind, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Let me pray and then I'm going to read. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's a, a book about you doing great things through normal people. It's a book about leadership. God, it's a, it's a book where we see real people uh, come to you. We see real people wander away from you. We see you bring them back. We see you pursue people. God, I, I pray that you would pursue us in the same way. God, I pray that we would maintain our faith. God, that you would pull us close, that we would follow, and that we would stay close with you, that our relationship with you would be tight, and then our lives would be evidence of you in us. God, thank you that we get to remember what Jesus did on the cross now as we take the Lord's Supper and continue to worship. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
This is central to who we are as Jesus followers, taking the Lord's Supper. We have not been able to do it consistently, and we are feeling the lack. It's going to be a little bit different. You'll come up here, uh, and because of uh, the virus, it's individual little packets. So you'll grab it. The bread is actually in there in the packet. Uh, it's going to taste a little weird. Sorry about that. Um, but it, it's different. But it's still the Lord's Supper. It represents Jesus' body and blood. And in this, we remember that our life is only because Jesus died on the cross. That our eternal life is only because Jesus rose from the dead. Our life is in him. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about laws. It's about Jesus and what he did to make us right with the Father. And now after the obedience comes, absolutely, as we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we want to rock, walk rightly. But we get to enjoy security because of what Jesus did. And so as we take this, this is a time to confess sin. I'm going to be in the back. If you want to pray, confess to anything, I'll be back there. Come pray with me. This might be a time for you just to examine yourselves. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you today or, or recently through his word? Is there something that you need to do? Do it now, and then let's take the Lord's Supper together.